Hey everyone, just a little plug for something that I am so proud to announce. And guess what? It has everything to do with breastfeeding. As a working and pumping mother, the pump that I had with me in taxis, in bathroom stalls, in boardrooms was something that allowed me to continue my important breastfeeding relationship with all three of my children. It is a commitment, but it is also one of the best things you can give your baby. For me, having what I needed when I needed it helped me keep going. That is why I am so excited to announce my limited edition collection with Medela, featuring the Rebecca Minkoff Medela pump and baby bag and the other must-have Medela items that made a difference to me as a pumping and nursing mom. Visit shopmedela.us to get yours beginning September 28th and available only while supplies last. Hey everyone, welcome to Superwomen. Today's guest is Pam Habner. She is the head of U.S. branded cards for City. Pam joined City in July of 2020 to lead U.S. branded cards, the second largest U.S. credit card issuer, servicing 34.5 million accounts and generating over 338 billion in purchase sales. This is a must listen for someone who aspires to do great things, to be a leader, to figure out the balance of motherhood and work and to truly disconnect. I can't recommend this episode enough. Enjoy. So Pam, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background and also what led you to the world of finance. Sure. Well, I guess I could start from the beginning. Um, I'm a second generation American. My dad came to the United States from Italy when he was just eight years old. He learned English, worked his way to a position at a large law firm. Uh, So I guess you could say hustle runs in our family. Unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was quite young. So I found myself in a position of paying my way through college and business school. And then ultimately found my way to financial services. And uh, I've had roles at American Express, JP Morgan, and now Citi. I actually did a dot-com detour during the first dot-com bubble uh, and left corporate life for three years, which was really an amazing experience. But all through those experiences, I always aspired to become a CEO of a business. I just love the idea of being a general manager, running a business end-to-end. And so throughout all those roles and those jobs for over 20 years, I tried to keep adding to my experience set. So I worked in strategy. I did product management and marketing and business development, and the list goes on. And I felt all those different pieces of the puzzle would prepare me to ultimately be the head of a business or the CEO of a business, which is kind of where I am today. I'm so proud to be at City. I run the U.S. branded cars and lending business. It's a scale business. We have 35 million customers around the U.S. We generate almost $340 billion in sales across all of our credit cards. And so it's, it's a great moment for me because it's a bit of a culmination of all that work over all those years. So one thing that when I started peeking my head outside of the fashion industry, because, you know, it's primarily women and it's women throwing each other under the bus. So that, that seemed quote unquote normal to me. But when I started talking to other entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders outside of fashion, I was like, oh, this is a male dominated world. It's very different. There is a glass ceiling, you know, the pay inequities. We could, we go on for days about this. Yep. Um, and you dove head on into an industry that is dominated 
uh, or tends to be by men. So what, what skills have you had to adopt to a make your rise as incredible as it's been, but cut through what, at least from what I'm told, you know, from other women can be a hard, a hard to succeed in industry. Yeah. So financial services has certainly been a male dominated industry, but I can tell you things are changing and getting better. I think we flipped the script at City when Jane Frazier took the reins of the bank as CEO earlier this year, just in March. And she's the first female CEO in a major Wall Street bank. And I think that truly has set a new standard for the industry. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons that I actually joined City uh, was because of Jane and the inspiration that she kind of gave to me. Uh, But it it has been a long evolution. And I think uh, for myself, I was able to grow and progress in a male-dominated world by, you know, being authentically myself, focusing on the work, driving the results, uh, but also building relationships and making sure that being a woman wasn't getting in the way. I have mentors and sponsors throughout my career that are both men and women, and I've cultivated those and I've maintained those. Um, So I think that ongoing track record plus those relationships um, have really helped me to get where I am today. But I can tell you that, you know, my advice to any woman is to get into a company or a firm or start a firm like you did, uh, where diversity and specifically gender equity are valued and that you can dive in and further that cause and make a difference yourself. So I've always in my career tried to own the change. Um, You know, at City, we're setting representation goals. We're being very open and honest about pay equity gaps and, you know, challenging ourselves to make a difference. And I'm rolling up my sleeves and trying to help along the way. So I think all of those things have kind of contributed to where I've landed today. I love that. And I think that, you know, when the topics around uh, money tend to come up. I think historically women have been uncomfortable having conversations about it. As someone who oversees so much spending um, and customers, how do we get women to be more comfortable, not just talking about money, but talking about how to accumulate wealth, about why it's okay to be successful and talk about it. Because I still feel that there is a stigma of people not wanting to share, or if you are sharing, you're rude, or you don't have manners. Like, do you have any um, learnings from that in your in your financial, you know, through all the different places you've been? Yeah, I, I love this question because I'm so passionate about it. And in my last job before I joined City. I was at JP Morgan and I managed all our banking and wealth management teams. So I got a glimpse to the importance of having a financial plan for all people, but especially women who don't tend to do it as much. But I think that first and foremost, women in business and in their personal lives have to have the confidence to bet on themselves, have the confidence to say what they aspire to. I've always been clear about my goal to be a CEO. And you know what? I've often read studies and talked to consultants and HR leaders who say women are less apt to state their direction, what their aspiration is, 
for fear of looking too aggressive or, you know, looking for a powerful role. And to be quite honest, men do that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The same thing comes to pay. We as women are sometimes reluctant to say, here's what I think is an appropriate salary and bonus for myself. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In many cases, it's expected. So I encourage women, take a bet on yourself, state where you want to go, take some risks in your career, have the confidence that you've made it as far as you have in your career based on your skills and your track record. So have the confidence like men do to take a job in a different function, a different area, a different country, and then and then really uh, follow through on that. So you know, my advice is to do all of those things and to never hold back. One thing I tell women is it takes practice, you know, without asking and asking again, or I tell women practice with your friends, if you, you know, before you get into the office to, to make that bold move. Do you have anything that you've seen work for women in this space? Absolutely. So specifically women in wealth, and we can get back to that topic Um, What we find in the wealth arena is there just aren't that many women who are financial advisors. There's a real gap there. So when I was managing a wealth team of several thousand people across the U.S., I would have focus groups amongst bankers and other high potential women to encourage them to think about a new career. And what I would do is I would bring panelists of women who had made that leap from maybe a branch banker to a financial advisor so that women could see others who have been successful. They could have honest conversations just with other women about how they felt, the fears that they had, and how they overcame them. And I still do that today. I have monthly focus groups with female managing directors here at City to hear what's on their mind, but also to help them build that network so that they have lots of folks they can go to for advice or to practice with them when they want to have a tough conversation about pay or when they want to practice for an interview to apply for a job. And I found that network and bringing women together really has made a difference for me and as I've seen it make a difference for others. Um, and, And I think it's just critically important. And on the topic of wealth management, you are absolutely right. Uh, women are less likely to have a financial plan than men do. And I think that really needs to change. And, and part of that changing may be having more female financial advisors who women feel comfortable going to. So it's clear, even though we've never met face-to-face, you are so passionate about what you do personally, professionally, which we'll get into the personal in a minute. But you recommend letting go of giving 150% and instead spend more time on relationships, which allows your more authentic self to shine through. I'd love to hear a little bit about that because I feel like all you hear is give it all, give everything you have. But (laughs) um, you know, sometimes you can give it all and you have no relationships at the end of the game or you've made no friends and it's hard to go back and build that after. Rebecca, you're so right. I remember early days of my career, I was admittedly self-proclaimed workaholic. I was the first one in the office. I was the last one to leave. I was heads down working 150% doing analytics, prepping presentations until they were absolutely perfect. And I will never forget a female leader of mine during a you know year-end review took me aside and said, listen, I need you to stop delivering 
150% and start going out to lunch with people more. And I was shocked because like you, I thought, you know, the key to success is is perfection and, and doing everything above and beyond expectations. And to be honest with you, I left that conversation a little insulted because I really thought that I was doing the right thing and I was on the right path. But like with any good feedback, I let it settle in. And I realized what she was telling me, which was that I was missing out on the opportunity to build relations with colleagues, with mentors, with sponsors. And as you know, in business, it's not an individual sport, it's a team sport. And in order to get things done and get them done well, you have to really inspire those around you to go on the journey with you, uh, to make things a priority. So I took her advice, I pulled it back, and it took me a little while, it wasn't overnight, but now I swear by the 80-20 rule, you know, get 80% of the information to make the best decision and then move on to the next thing and free up your calendar to build those deep relationships. And by the way, that makes work a whole lot more fun when you not only have colleagues, but you have friends at work and deep connections. Um, and I really, really valued that. And although I've been at a couple of different firms, the relationships I've made along the way are really there for a lifetime. I love hearing that. And it's so true. I mean, just what I see happen within my industry, the relationships that take the biggest twists and turns, but the fact that they're solid, it doesn't matter where those, those women end up, you know, if, if they're authentic and they have you in their court, you know, the value of that, not just from a personally fulfilling value, but from a business perspective can be incredibly valuable. So I love that you shared that because I do meet so many women that are about perfection and about staying till 1am or, or whatever it takes, you know, they think is, is the way to get ahead. So you touched a bit on how you used to be, you used to stay at the office, you used to never, never get home. And I'm sure that had impacts on your personal life. And I'd love to get a bit into your, you know, how do you approach having such an incredible high ranking executive, powerful woman, and then your home life and how you've managed to lead with that as well? You know, I have to say, becoming a mom has almost been like a masterclass and not sweating the small stuff. Uh, it took me a really long time to become a mom, just like so many other women out there. But once I finally did meet my husband and I have two beautiful twin boys who are nine and a half years old, I really had to pivot because there was no way I could work the same hours that I did early in my career and still have a fulfilling life with my amazing husband and, and my kids. And so I realized one of the most important things for me was to be able to focus and be present in whatever I was doing. And so for me, that means when I'm at work, I allow myself to focus on work. And when I'm home, I really focus on my family and the things that make me happy and, and fuel my passions. And I'm not constantly checking my email while I'm having dinner. And that separation, I think, has really helped. Another thing that's helped, and maybe because I'm a bit of an older mom, is that I give myself a little bit of a break. My husband has a very busy career as well. He's an entrepreneur. So we're constantly balancing things. But we've kind of agreed to leave our parenting guilt at the door. We know that we're not going to be absolutely perfect at everything we do as parents. 
as we know we aren't going to be at work and that that's going to build strong children who are independent and resilient and well-rounded. So if I can't make every single school event, I don't beat myself up about it, but I really make the most of the time when I'm there. And then I have to say, we've been really fortunate in the fact that we support each other. My husband and I picked a great partner in my life. So when he's traveling, I try to be closer to home and vice versa. And we surround ourselves with people who can help us along the way. We've had an amazing caregiver with us since our boys were born. And, you know, that's been wonderful. And so it's a combination of all those things that I think have allowed us to go through this journey of being focused on our career, but also parents and and having a pretty happy home life as well. So I need the the nitty gritty of how you, A, manage, because I need to know this for myself, how you manage to focus, you know, on the kids with, you know, a career such as yours. I find, you know, my fantasies are, you know, when someone says, what does success look like to you, Rebecca? I go, I just want to mindlessly play dinosaurs with my kid. If I can do that, (laughs) then I'm, you know, without worrying about the email I didn't reply to or the deadline that I have then I've made it. And two, how do you leave your guilt at the door? Because I feel guilty no matter what. I'm not sure I have the key to success, but I can share with you. I remember doing a panel. It was at a women's conference for my business school. And there were a half a dozen uh, women who were really successful in their careers across financial services. Some of them were investment bankers. Some of them were in consumer financial services like myself and the, the key to everybody's success, as they described it, was this ability to be present. And I think there are folks that can compartmentalize. And I would say I fall into that category where I really can turn off that phone when I get home. And there are those who are blenders where their personal and their professional life seem to blend and it's a little bit more fluid. My husband is actually in that second category. But I think, you know, if you're a natural blender and and therefore you're always feeling like you're missing out on being in one place or the other, you know, maybe you have to kind of create some rules of the road for yourself. And, you know, even in COVID, I had to really do that a bit more because there's a blending when you're home working between your personal life and your professional life that didn't exist before when you got on a train and went into the office and could really contain that time. And so I've had to pivot myself. And, and maybe this is something you could do where, you know, when I go into my home work office, which is a separate workspace, you know, I kind of know the time that I'm going to get into that office, but then I turn off my computer, I shut the door and I don't go back in as tempting as it is sometimes. Seriously, it's very tempting to to slither on over to your phone and and check it. Uh, I'm very guilty of that all the time. So as far as, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was how much you champion women. And I feel like, you know, I I say this a lot. So I hope if you're listening, you're not sick of me saying this. Sometimes I say the cavalry is not coming, you know, there, there's no one who's going to peer around a corner and say, you look like you're working hard. Let me, you know, like I keep hoping that women will seek opportunity, ask for the things they want and not wait for someone to give it to them. Do you feel that as a leader, you know, how, how do women 
get more comfortable with asking up? How do they get more comfortable with, you know, demanding things that are important to them? And and one of the things I say is, you know, COVID has sort of, you know, shown us that work, work and life are one, you know, you can see what's happening behind everyone's zoom. Um, and so as a, as a person who champions diversity and, and inclusion, what do you say to these women to ask for more or to keep pushing on that ceiling? Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice for women and frankly, all of my team members is to have a career development plan and to force yourself in your very busy day to carve off the time to put effort on that plan. And so here's here's what we've done. Um, In April of this month, we had every single member of my team write a career development plan, which includes stating, committing to a piece of paper, what your career aspirations are, the types of jobs that you think would help develop you to get to that ultimate goal. And then not a huge list, but three or five things that you're going to commit to this year that are going to help you achieve that goal. Um, It could be networking. It could be taking on a stretch assignment. It could be learning about something new in the digital space that would expand your knowledge and make you more marketable, even internally, not to mention externally. And so I always say, if you commit to it and you have a plan and you check back in, then you're really going to make a difference and you're going to focus on that. But committing it to paper, sitting alone at your desk is not enough. So we said, you've got to write a plan, but then you've also got to spend at least an hour with your leader sharing with him or her what your plan is and asking for their support in getting you to where you want to go. And by the way, as a leader, that's part of your job. My job is to make sure I know where my team members want to go in their career and to be on their development team to help them get there. And so it's a two-way dialogue. But what I say to folks is you can't sit back and expect your leader or the head of your division or the CEO of your company to to read your mind and know where you want to go. You have to take that first step. You have to have the confidence to commit to it. And then you need to actually take the steps. And by the way, that can be a little scary. You know, when people ask me what I want, I always say, listen, I want to have increasing responsibility as the CEO of larger businesses, you know, the truth is I may never get there. So in saying that, I might put myself a little bit out on a limb, but you've got to do that. You've got to take that risk. And if you ever have a hope to get to that ultimate goal. So that's what I try to do with my team. I love that. And I think for anyone who doesn't have a team or uh, has the, has their own business, I'm sure you could find like-minded peers to do this with and keep yourself in check, which I think is great. Absolutely. Have you encountered situations where you felt like a failure or things didn't go as planned and, and what did you do to overcome it? Oh my gosh. So my list of failures is a mile long. So I have to think for a minute, which one I want to pick. I've had products that didn't work. I've had lots of things not go as I had expected, but maybe one that's a little bit more of a personal one um, has to do actually with a, a leadership skill around communications. And really early in my career, I would always get feedback that I actually did pretty well in communications. I was a management consultant before I got into financial services. 
So I was used to writing presentations and delivering them one-on-one or in a room, of, a small room of people. And when I first got my GM job, my first general management job, I was reporting to the CEO of a consumer division, and it was a big step up for me. And kind of part of the rite of passage of getting to that level was to do a presentation about your business to a large audience on stage in an auditorium that was kind of simulcast around the globe. And I put my presentation together. I kind of went into it with a little bit of overconfidence, perhaps. I got on stage. The bright lights were shining. There were dozens and dozens and hundreds of people in front of me. And I went silent. And I got so nervous that I I nearly, I swear, I nearly passed out. I muddled through the presentation, but I think it's pretty safe to say it was a bust. But it was a great life learning experience. Literally, I got back to my desk and my boss called me up and called me into his office and said, that was kind of rough. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, communications are really key to your success. You're at a new level now. And so I think we need to get you some help so that you can be really confident the next time you present and and ongoing. Um, And he offered to get me a communications coach. And I have to say, I was I was kind of hurt because I thought this was kind of one of my power alleys. And, you know, you can go through that talk track in your mind. Like, you know, this was an aberration. You know, I, I was my first time or I wasn't really prepared or I was really tired from a long week. But the truth of the matter is I did need help. I took that advice. I got a communications coach who was amazing. I learned so much. And all of those tips and tricks that I learned, I still use today. And shortly after I finished that course, I raised my hand right away to get right back on the horse to deliver a presentation to an even larger group. And it was great. And it was a success. And, you know, that's just one example of how I'm so glad I had that moment of failure uh, because I really think it made me a better speaker. And now it's one of my favorite things to do. That's incredible. And you, I can tell you're a great speaker just from how well you interview. So my last question for you, or I actually like to end my podcast with two questions for all my guests is what is something we would be surprised to know about you? It can be personal, can be professional, can be a habit or a quirk or, you know, a hobby. Uh, um, I guess there are a couple of surprising things, but I guess one of the things when people meet me, they're kind of surprised to hear is that I am a math major and just a huge geek in my heart of hearts. I'm in an industry that does use analytics and um, risk management and those kinds of things. So I draw that into my daily work. But I think when people meet me, they don't really think of me as a theoretical mathematician. So I kind of like that because it's a little bit of a surprise and takes people aback. Um, But again, as a female math student, I was probably one of the only women in my college classes. And again, I think sometimes taking a risk and signing up for a major that's different, um, being the only woman was a bit of a risk, but it actually made me a little bit different as I was applying for jobs into the future. And I think is kind of a thing that makes people laugh when they meet me now. But um, I'm proud of my inner geekdom. And I think that's helped me along the way. I love it. To one nerd to another. I'm, I'm cheersing <laughs> you virtually. Um, 
And then my last question, and I'd love to get your perspective is, is there any last piece of advice that you either learned the hard way or someone gave to you that you'd like to pass on to my listeners? The only other thing that I would say to everybody is really commit to be a lifelong learner. We are in such a fast paced world Things are changing constantly. And from where I sit, customer behaviors are changing. Expectations are higher. There's new technology and cryptocurrencies and a million things that are transforming the world at warp speed. So no matter what you do for your career or what your passions are, make sure to carve off time to really invest in learning and staying cutting edge. And I always love this quote that to be successful, you need to keep your nose to the grindstone, but your eye on the horizon. And I really believe that you have to be able to deliver in the here and now, there's no doubt. But if you're not looking to the horizon, educating yourself and then innovating at work or whatever it is that you do and trying new things constantly, you'll run the risk of getting behind. So my big piece of advice is be a lifelong learner, embrace it and have fun with it. I couldn't agree more. I'll never forget. And I hate admitting it when my brother said, you can't just be a designer. You have to understand the business side of this. And I was really pissed. I was like, I just want to be a designer. I don't want to know the numbers and the sales. And obviously I begrudgingly took his advice and became great at the business side of things, but it, it, it informed me as a designer daily. So I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much, Pam. It was so great to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll get to meet you very, very soon. I hope so, Rebecca. And thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on your new book, Successful Business. It's just been such a pleasure to get to know you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Macy's, Scentbirds, and Birchboxes, as well as our site.